Are you looking to optimize your IoT data strategy and harness the full value of your data? Partner with Dane Studios, the experts in data-driven solutions. They specialize in building robust IoT data strategies that fully leverage the potential of your data. Their team can assist you in systematically identifying, prioritizing, and implementing data opportunities to drive your business forward. By establishing key enablers such as data governance and architecture, they ensure the successful implementation of your IoT ambitions. Learn more and visit them at danestudios.com. Welcome, Rob and Dominic, to the IoT for All podcast. Thanks for being here this week. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to have both of you here. Um, excited about this conversation. Prior to getting into it, I'd love it if you all would introduce yourselves to our audience and maybe give a quick overview of what the company does. My name is Dominic Peters. As co-founder and engineering lead at Bellevue, I first graduated at Carleton University with a mechanical engineering degree. And while in school, started working at a small product development company, kind of as a bit of a jack of all trades. But as the company grew, um, I kind of settled in and found my passion as more of a embedded systems engineer. So working on PCB design, firmware, that sort of thing. And now as a co-founder and engineering lead at Bellevue, my role continues to be kind of to contribute and oversee the technical side of the product development, including you know implementation of the hardware, uh, the firmware, and kind of the overall technology stack. So, and of course, being a bit of a startup, you know, Rob and I both share a role in the business side of the company as well, which has been a fantastic learning experience, I think, for, for the both of us. And my name is Rob Shudra. I'm the uh, co-founder and creative director of Bellevue. Uh, my background is in industrial design, so uh, working to develop products, uh, considering the user experience, manufacturability, um, and kind of the aesthetics of the products themselves. My background, I've worked in kind of various industries, whether it's uh, consumer electronics, uh, airplane interiors, as well as IoT. And yeah, as Dominic said, uh, my role within Velaview skews more towards kind of doing the hardware design, so designing the products themselves, uh, collaborating with the engineering team, as well as kind of developing the, the software side of things as well. So uh, a lot of user experience kind of tied into a lot of those areas. Providing some context for the viewers on, on Velaview, our, our company. Yeah. Bellevue is a, so we call it a platform consisting of, you know, hardware and software pieces that um, interestingly permit tracking of things indoor as well as outdoors using a combination of GPS as well as low energy mesh technologies and built in a way with really a focus on allowing customers to quickly and easily integrate it into their own workflows. Uh, so when you think of different asset tracking use cases, you know, things, fleet management, pallet tracking, um, you know, inventory management. We want want Bellevue to be kind of that one-stop shop where customers can come to us and have a system that's easy to use, easy to integrate, and and most importantly, also quickly to do uh, to add to their business. Fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate those overviews and, and intros. Um, so I wanted to dive in a little bit to the user experience side. Um, I think that's a really interesting topic that we've only covered a few times on the podcast. It's often overlooked, and especially when people are so focused on showcasing their technology. But I think with what we're realizing now more and more is that in order for solutions to be adopted by particularly the end users, that UX is super important. Um, so I wanted to just get your all's perspective on kind of just giving our audience an overview of the importance of the user experience side when it comes to developing IoT solutions and driving adoption. 
I think honestly, it can make or break a product. It's so important to have user experience that's smooth. And it's something that's easy to look at, I think, in IoT when really a lot of the time companies are looking at kind of the technology, how you can get the technology up and running uh, and working well for the, the use case. Um, but I think it's easy to miss kind of how the consumer or customer fits into that, that process, how they interact with your devices and system that kind of allows for a smooth process, avoids any friction points. Yeah, one of the things we've mentioned before seems to resonate well with a lot of people is when it comes to developing a solution, really trying to think from the end user backwards, um, as opposed from the technology uh, forwards, I guess you would, you would put it. Um, because at the end of the day, if, if the experience is not something that the end user finds value in or is able to easily use, then the adoption won't really be there, which then the ROI is not there and it's oftentimes an unsuccessful experience for, for everyone involved. Um, so when you're approaching the UX development side, both on the engineering front and just kind of the general considerations that need to be made, how, how, how should companies be thinking about that? What, what things do are, is important for them to understand, for them to know, for them to inquire about um, for the UX to be, or the information to be put together for the UX to have the best chance of succeeding um, when it's being put together by, by the team? Just understanding kind of what the space looks like, uh, who the stakeholders are going to be, who the customers are going to be, kind of looking at what their needs are going to be for the process. I think a big part of that also is once you figure that out, looking at kind of um, putting yourself in them, their shoes and understanding how they're going to move through the process and kind of what their needs are going to be along the way at each step. Another thing to add to that, I would say just from the engineering side is, you know, oftentimes as engineers, we put ourselves into this box where we're just looking at the specs. We're just looking at the functional requirements of a product. And that's where kind of clear lines of communication with the designers who are mostly responsible for, you know, defining the user experience, having that clear communication with them at all paths from the initial brainstorming through the, pro uh, through the product de uh, development cycle. And particularly on the feedback side is very important. Great examples where we've developed something and maybe the feature technically worked right, but we were seeing that users, you know, either people testing it in the office or early customers were having issues using that. So we kind of go back to the drawing board and ask ourselves, how can we make this better? And oftentimes it's a collaboration of the engineering side saying, oh, well, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can't do this. You're often dealing with technical requirements on the engineering side and transforming those into how can we create good user experiences using what we know about the technical requirements. Is there a clash between design and development? Because I know design, they're going to build what they believe is the best experience. But then at the same time, there's always, or not always, but there's oftentimes technical limitations that sometimes the designers don't know about because that's not their world, right? Um, but the developer will look at it and say, the way you want this to behave or the way you want this, to, this experience to be is either you know, take, going to take a lot of work, is not technically possible. Um, how, how do you enable both of those teams to work harmoniously together to get the best output at the end of the day? It can definitely be a challenge, and especially with um, working with hardware as well as software. I think there's a lot more flexibility with software and pulling hardware. There's a lot more constraints in terms of kind of what you can do efficiently with manufacturing the devices, what the features on those devices can be. Yeah, as Don mentioned earlier, ensuring there's lots of communication between the teams, ensuring that everyone's kind of aware of what the constraints are on both sides feedback and iteration as well. And this is not just a matter of communication, but also a matter of some of the new technologies that we're using, you know, additive manufacturing with, we've got three 3D printers in our office. And, you know, anytime there's a product change, we're not having to wait on new prototypes from overseas to be made. We can spin those up in an afternoon and test a new feature test. You know, a good example is uh, 
from a technical requirement side, we had a, a minimum clearance on a, on a GPS antenna inside of our device that we had to follow with our initial prototypes. Subsequently, though, we found that we could reduce that and achieve no loss to performance of the GPS, but we were able to test that out in a matter of you know two, three days rather than waiting weeks or months. So it's, it's really the, the, the feedback and quick iteration is really a key to making that possible. Let me ask you this. Um, what are some of the, in the realm of IoT, I know every kind of user experience that's built, um, especially across different industries, has their own challenges. Is there any kind of challenges that you all have kind of come across or noticed that's a trend when it comes to IoT um, user experiences that are built, user interfaces that are built? I know a lot of what you do is around asset tracking. So is there anything that's kind of I guess, tied to asset tracking that you've seen as to be a common challenge when it comes to building these interfaces for end users that's important for people listening to this to understand and be thinking about as early on as possible? Yeah, I think one of the big challenges that we've faced is that there's so many moving pieces with developing these systems. You have the the web dashboard, the mobile app, uh, and we have three, four devices uh, of hardware now as well. Uh, and developing those all congruently, I think, is, is a challenge. Um, with traditional software development, you're able to kind of spin up the, the wireframes, test them, um, and it's more of an isolated system. Whereas with Velaview, we have hardware that interacts with the software, uh, which makes it quite difficult to kind of test those and test how they're going to interact with one another. Um, so I think that's certainly a challenge. That's something we've kind of learned to work around a little bit by kind of faking things when we're doing prototyping and testing within our uh, design software. Uh, but that's certainly one of the uh, the challenges that we faced. I would say another thing is that you know a lot of smaller companies as well, similar to ours in the asset tracking space, um, they're kind of grabbing almost like grabbing things from the parts bin. Maybe they'll develop the hardware themselves or develop um, the dashboard themselves, but they're reliant on partners for other parts of the solution. Um, and oftentimes that can result in a product that doesn't feel fully. I don't know, like like put together kind of like certain aspects have different design language or certain aspects kind of behave differently. It, the system just doesn't behave as one full piece. Um, we're fortunate enough, you know, coming from the product development background and having those resources to us to be able to develop everything in-house, which means we have a really tight vertical integration between all the pieces right down from the core level, right? So it gives us really good control of all the pieces from the hardware to the firmware to the mobile app. And that's really what ensures this level of continuity in the experience, whether you're, you know, just setting up the device, looking at the hardware, looking at the web app, you're going to notice similarities in the design language and, you know, in the industrial design, visual design of all the applications, but also similarities in the behavior of these devices and the system as a whole. So I think that's one advantage we have by developing everything as one vertically integrated solution rather than a lot of other companies where they'll work with, you know, third-party hardware or third-party this and third-party that and kind of bundle it all together. Not, not to say it can't be done, but I'd say it's more challenging when you're working with several different vendors and several different pieces. What about when it comes to building for different types of end users? So I'm sure there are more technical end users, there are less technical end users. There's a lot of different kinds of scenarios that I'm sure you're put in depending on who the customer is. Are there different considerations that need to be made when it comes to how you build something to be more easily adopted by the technical versus potentially the non-technical uh, end users? 
I think that's a fantastic question, Ryan, and it's something we do actually come across a lot, not just different levels of technical knowledge, but also just different industries and different customers wanting slightly different features, which leads us to kind of have to customize the system differently for different you know, people and different applications. What we try to do is we try to make it simple enough so that a beginner, someone without any background in IT is able to still have a good experience, still able to use the system without too much hand-holding and kind of, you know, integration effort on our part, but still providing powerful enough capabilities in the form of, you know, um, REST APIs, um, custom rules engines where developers can implement their own logic into the application as well, so that the more advanced users or like the enterprise users who just want to take maybe a part of this, maybe they just want the location tracking aspect, but want to integrate it into their own dashboard, still have the capabilities to do that as well. But that's certainly, I'm glad you touched on that because that's been one of the most challenging pieces is making it simple enough and easy enough to use for kind of the average Joe, but giving it enough flexibility um, so that the larger customers or the customers that want to, you know, take it and integrate it into their own platform can find value in it as well. And I think you get a lot of uh, downstream benefits as well. Users who are kind of less experienced in IT, that easiness to, to use the system uh, it's great for them, but for the more advanced users as well, it's uh, providing optimizations for how quickly they can set it up as well, even if they're using it with the API afterwards. How much are you thinking about also how this is going to play in like the marketing space? You know, how are these user interfaces going to be understood? Because these are pieces that can be used to help bring in new customers, right? Like if you're building a uh, palette tracking user interface for a solution, how much, it, or is there much thought about how are we designing for something that is also going to be appealing to for, to help marketing to bring in business to be you know showcased at trade shows whatever it is um, how how is that being considered if at all throughout the development of the process or or what do you how do you I guess even think about that yeah I think first and foremost we we look at designing for the the specific use case and for the user um, but really I think we're getting some additional benefits for the the marketing side of things as well. Um, based on kind of that solid user interface that we've built for the, the product. In the marketing side, we've really tried to, to keep things simple um, and really present the, the product in a way that's easy to understand and, and easy to digest. In the IoT space, we've seen a lot of companies that kind of overwhelm you with information about what the product does, instead of looking at more so what the product is actually going to do for you, the customer. So I wanted to ask a couple more questions before we wrap up here. One of them is around just generally speaking, when it comes to an end-to-end -end solution, being able, the less companies that are kind of involved, the easier it is often for building, putting together and so forth. But I also know the IoT industry has always been dubbed a partner-centric ecosystem where not everyone can do every piece of an IoT solution well themselves, which is why they'll bring in hardware, they'll bring in a, a connectivity company potentially, they'll bring in a, a, a platform or you know a application layer company potentially. What, what is it in what in your mind have been the biggest keys to reducing barriers to adoption with your all's approach and kind of how you've built and you're the solution that you offer? What, what are you all thinking about or what have you seen, I guess, as the main barriers to adoption and how you've kind of remedied them or trying to build around that? The main barrier for us coming from a product development background is actually finding the right customers. Um, and that's where partnering with integrators has actually been super helpful for us. And oftentimes we're going to trade shows, not, not actually to meet end customers, but actually to, to meet integrators who know their industry. So, 
you know, it could be an oil and gas integrator, it could be uh, some, uh, an integrator that works with logistics companies. They oftentimes can see our product, see the benefits and see how they, it can be applied to the com- types of customers, the types of companies in their space. I'm not the subject matter expert on oil and gas, or I'm not the subject matter expert on logistics. And that's where it helps to have these types of integrators that can help on the business side to kind of spin our technology solution into something that really provides value to the end customer. Of course, we still want to support the direct-to-customer type sales as well. And that that works, I think, a lot better for the type of customer that just needs kind of a basic asset tracking system that can tell you the location of things, that can tell you the the temperature, humidity associated with things, these things. But when it comes into the more niche or specific industries, it really helps for us working with integrators who know their space and can, you know, spin our technology into something and sell it to their customers. Last thing I want to ask you prior to us wrapping up here is around managing customer expectations, because I think this is a really interesting thing to talk about. Um, I've had different opinions in the past on how they do that, but when it comes to especially the application layer and that user interface, user experience side of things, we all as consumers, even regardless of what industry we work in, deal with different types of experiences, whether it's the app we use, whether it's the um, operating system we use based on the phone, computers that we have. How do you all handle setting the expectation for what is really possible with a customer? I think it helps mostly to be transparent early on and through the entire process. You know, oftentimes, like you'll said, you'll get enthusiastic customers who come up to us at trade shows and think, wow, this is going to you know, change the world. We have to be transparent with them very early on on, on what the product can do and, and specifically what it can't do as well. So, you know, a good example is if the customer is trying to track every postage stamp um, with this type of technology, well, it's not really suited to that. It's slightly higher cost. Yes, it's going to give you really high resolution and real-time tracking, but do you really need that for every piece of, of mail? Um, probably not. So, so being transparent with the customer and understanding whether it's actually going to be a good fit for them um, is a really important part of the process. And, you know, at terms... At times, that can even mean turning down potential customers if it doesn't seem like a fit. But I think it's it's important to kind of recognize that early on, communicate that early on, rather than just trying to brute force it. And, you know, for both yourself and the customer's perspective, um, going down this rabbit hole where from the start, you can kind of tell it's it's not really a good fit. Very good answer. It's um, something that I think sometimes can come back to bite companies if they're not set expectations from the very early early days and having those conversations um, just leads to disagreements, disappointments, you know, and friction basically with with the people you're trying to do business with and succeed together. I really appreciate both of you taking the time today to to chat with me because this is a topic that I'm glad we're able to shed a lot of light on and and hear from your your experiences and your expertise. So truly appreciate the time. And I wanted to finish this off by having you tell our audience where they can learn more about what you all are doing and maybe follow up with any questions or thoughts or ideas. Yeah, you can uh, reach us at www.veleview.com uh, or hello at veleview.com if you'd like to email us as well. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Rob, Dominic, thank you guys so much. Um, you've been fantastic guests and I'm excited to get this out to our audience. Thanks, Ryan. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having us.